Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or watching this message online. I had somebody email me this week and tell me that there is a group of students at the University of North Dakota that gather together every weekend to watch Eaglebrook messages in their dorm room. And I thought that's like the coolest thing I've ever heard. So welcome to those of you at the University of North Dakota as well. Way to go, college students. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Raising the Bar, and I hope you like challenges because that's what this series is going to do. We're going to challenge ourselves to a higher level of obedience. No more I call myself a Christian, but I live like the rest of the world lives kind of thing. Let's raise the bar a little bit. And to do that, we're going to look at the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's called that because he delivered it from a mountainside. Apparently, Jesus didn't have the most creative marketing people surrounding him. You know, I was like, Sermon on the Mount, let's just go with that. But he didn't need creative marketing people because this sermon might be the most brilliant thing that's ever come out of a person's mouth. Look what former President Harry Truman said. He said, there isn't a problem in this country or the world today which couldn't be settled if approached through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, I hope you'll take some time this week and read the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter 5 on your own to just discover who is this guy, Jesus, and what is it that he really taught. But I'll warn you, he's going to challenge you on some very relevant issues like anger and marriage, revenge and enemies, money, and what happens after you die. Today's message is titled, Salt and Light. And we get that from Matthew 5.13, which I'm going to read to you in just a moment, But before I do, let me ask you a question. Is there ever a time when you wished you weren't a Christian? It's kind of an odd question to ask people in church, isn't it? But what I mean is, has there ever been a time in your life when you wished you could behave poorly and not give God a bad name in the process? A couple weeks ago, I got pulled over in Forest Lake. And nobody wants to be a Christian when you get pulled over. But it's especially bad when you're one of the pastors at a large church in the area. You just kind of sit there like this, hoping no one recognizes you. And so I got pulled over for taking an illegal left turn. Truthfully, I didn't see a sign that said it was an illegal left turn, but I knew. I had to like weave around the center median to get going in the westbound (laughs) direction. But the reason I took the illegal left turn was because if I had turned right, I would have had to drive a half mile down to Highway 61, turn around there, and then drive a half mile back to where I was. So I shaved two minutes off my commute time by taking this illegal left turn. Now, whenever you get pulled over, that's kind of a stressful situation. I pulled into the White Castle parking lot, and my oldest son, Micah, at first thought it was a Culver's. So he goes, Dad, can we go inside and get some ice cream? Police lights are behind me at this point, and this is what he brings up. Then I can't find my most recent insurance card. The whole thing is a total disaster. But I'm working on this sermon, Salt and Light. And so as the police officer is approaching my car, holding my ticket, yes, I got a ticket, I'm thinking to myself, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But I didn't want to let it shine. I wanted to tell this police officer how ridiculous it is that I got to drive a half mile down to Highway 61. So I did. I said, if you're ever at a city council meeting, which is a stupid thing to say, why is he going to go to a city council meeting? And I don't even think they make those decisions at city council meetings. But I said, if you're ever at a city council meeting, you tell them, open up that median so I can take a left. And I just go on. This police officer, he must have been a Christian. 
because his light was shining. He was very calm with me. He said, well, you know, smarter people than you and me make those decisions. I said, I don't know about that. (laughs) As he walks back to his car, my son Micah finally realizes that we are at a White Castle, and so he goes, Dad, can we go inside and get a slider? Now, here's my question for you. Why do you think Jesus entrusted us to be the light of the world? I'm a pastor, and I don't even love people that well a lot of the time. I mean, here's a, I'm lecturing this police officer about road design, a subject that I know absolutely nothing about. And yet, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, in that culture, salt was something that you could not live without. In fact, the Greeks used to say that apart from the sun, there's nothing more important to the existence of mankind than salt. It's because salt was a preservative. It was necessary to keep food from spoiling. We don't really understand this today with refrigerators. We just kind of season our food with salt. But back then, salt was absolutely necessary. You could not live without it. The Roman army used to pay their soldiers in salt. It's where we get the phrase, he's not worth his salt. So Jesus' audience would have heard these words this way. You people, broken, sinful, as weak as you may be, you people are the only hope this society has. You are the only way to preserve what God is doing. If Jesus were here today, he would look at those of us who are followers of Christ and he'd say, listen, folks, you are the only hope our society has. It's not the president. It's not the future president. It's not the government. It's not Hollywood. It's you. You are the salt of the earth. Then Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Lights, like salt, meant more to them than they do to us. That's because we have lights everywhere. Our streets are lit. My dashboard is lit. And if it's not, I'm freaking out about that. I mean, I can get light anytime I want to just flip a little switch. Back then, if you wanted to have light... You needed to keep your torch lit. That was the only way you could have light. No torch, and you were in the darkness. No torch, and you would stumble around with no direction. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. In other words, without you, this world has no direction. Without you, it will continue to stumble in the dark. And then listen to what Jesus says next. He says, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. How does salt lose its flavor? Salt doesn't just sit there and become tasteless on its own. It becomes tasteless when it becomes contaminated. Again, Jesus' audience would have understood this. Because by the Dead Sea, there was all kinds of salt. But in many places, that salt had become contaminated and mixed with other minerals. 
And when that happened, the salt would become tasteless and actually repugnant. Every year or so, it seems at least, there's a brand new study out that says that Christianity in America today is dying. They'll say that Christians have become repugnant to the world. But then several years ago, well-respected researcher Ed Stetzer decided to dig a little bit deeper into those numbers. And what Stetzer discovered is that there's really three types of people who will self-identify as Christians. The first group is what Stetzer labels cultural Christians. These people will say, yeah, I'm a Christian because isn't everybody in America a Christian? It's just kind of a cultural thing. The second group is what Stetzer calls congregational Christians. These people self-identify as a Christian because they go to church every now and then. But then there's this third group that Stetzer labels convicted Christians. And these people call themselves Christians because they have deeply convicted beliefs about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the Bible is the word of God. What Stetzer discovered is that Christianity in America today is not dying. Cultural Christians and congregational Christians are dying. They are less likely to self-identify themselves as a Christian because of certain societal pressures. But convicted Christians are actually on the rise. Stetzer's conclusion of this is that we are entering into a period in history when there will be greater clarity as to who is really a follower of Christ. And let me add to that, that we are entering into a period of history when we will have greater clarity as to who is salt, who is light, and who just calls themselves a Christian in the cultural or congregational sense of the term. So here's what I want to do today. I want to try to lift the bucket off of your light. I want to try to restore your saltiness again. And this is big stuff because none of us here want to waste our life. There's not one person here who says, you know, I want to get to the end of my life and realize I could have impacted a lot of people and I missed it. Nobody wants to call themselves a Christian just because they happen to attend a church. Every single one of us here today wants the thrill of being used by God to impact another person's eternal life. But you got to let your light shine. And so in our time left, let me give you three ways that you can let your light shine in the world today. The first one is this. Go where sinners go, but don't live like sinners live. Let me explain my use of the word sinners here so that you don't misunderstand me. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls a tax collector named Levi to be his follower. And Levi gets so excited about this, he throws a huge party and he invites all of his tax collector friends to come. Now, in the first century, a tax collector was kind of a big-time sinner. And so when Jesus goes to this party, the religious elite and leaders of his day, they say to him, why do you eat and drink with such scum? In other words, why do you go where sinners go? Listen to how Jesus responds back to them. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend time with those who think they are already good enough. Friends, there are two ways to hide your light. The first one is never go where sinners go. Play in a Christian basketball league, go to Christian events, 
Form a Christian playgroup for your kids to be in. Work out with other Christians. Don't talk to your coworkers or neighbors or at least spend significant time with those who don't share your same values in life. Your light will be hidden if you do that. The second way to hide your light from the world is to live like the rest of the world lives. Don't tithe. You just spend all your money on yourself. Don't read the Bible. You don't have time to do that anyway. Come to church, but only if it doesn't interfere with other weekend plans. Don't do anything that would cause a non-believer to look at you and go, wait a minute, why do you do that? When I was in college, my roommates and I decided to take a spring break trip down to Scottsdale, Arizona. But this was not your normal college guy's spring break trip because one of my roommates, his parents had a timeshare at the Biltmore Hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona. Biltmore is a five-star hotel. I've never stayed at a nicer place before or since. In fact, the first day that we were there, we were out playing basketball on some courts, and a bus pulled up. And I realized that everybody getting off the bus was over 6'5". It was the Los Angeles Clippers basketball team. They were staying at our hotel. And then that night, as we were waiting for our car to be brought around... I realized that I was standing right next to Billy Zane, the bad guy from Titanic. That's actually what I said. I said, hey, you're the bad guy from Titanic. (laughs) Judging by the look on his face, I think he's heard that a few times before. Just then, the Los Angeles Clippers head coach came out, and he was accompanied by three blonde flight attendants, and they were headed out for a night on the town. And one of these flight attendants started talking to me. And we started talking, and I told her what school I went to. And when she found out that I went to a Christian college, she blurted out, are you a virgin? (laughs) Which I never understood how that was the next logical question. I was expecting, like, what's your major? What do you want to go into? I didn't know I was going to have to detail my sexual history in front of Billy Zane. That's a lot of pressure. But I looked at her and I said, you know, yeah, I I really would like to. I I would like to save myself for marriage. That's my hope and desire. And she looked at me like I was an absolute alien. She was like, are you kidding me? And then she noticed Billy Zane and she goes, wait, are you the bad guy from Titanic? (laughs) Not even kidding. It was like the greatest moment ever. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter is talking to a group of people who have left their former life. They used to live one way. Now they're following Christ. They live a completely different way. He says this, Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things that they do. Ever surprise someone with how you live? Ever have an old friend say, Wait a minute, you don't go there anymore? You don't, you don't do that anymore? If not, could it be that your salt has lost its saltiness? Or that your light has been hidden? Because when you go where sinners go, you are going to surprise religious people. Religious people are even going to be a little offended by that, just like they were with Jesus. And they're going to go, wait a minute, you're going and hanging out with them? You spend time with that person? And if you don't live like unbelievers live, you're going to surprise them as well. You ought to be surprising both of those groups. One of my friends has been praying for a higher paying job. Wants his wife to be able to stay home with their kids. They've had some really big medical bills this past year, all very noble reasons. And then one of his other friends offered him a job that pays twice as much as the job that he's in right now. But there's a catch. This company has a tradition of taking their clients out to a strip club 
after they closed the deal to kind of celebrate the whole thing. In fact, when he went out to dinner with the CEO of the company, after dinner, the CEO wanted him to go to the strip club with him. My friend went home to his wife. He didn't take that job. The CEO was very surprised. Ever surprise someone with how you live? You ought to stick out a little bit. A city on a hill sticks out some. Now, not in a weird way, not in an annoying way, not in a I'm going to shove my beliefs down your throat whether you want to listen to me or not kind of way, not that, but in the kind of way, a gentle way, a loving way, a I'm going to be obedient to God no matter what it costs me kind of way. We don't need more cultural Christians. We need more convicted Christians who love people and love lost people enough to go to where they are, but who love Christ enough that you don't live how they live. Second way that you can let your light shine is this. You need to know that God has strategically placed you where you are. Let's look at the verse again. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. The NIV uses this word built. But in the original Greek, the idea here is that God has set or God has placed this town on a hill. A town placed on a hill is strategic. It's intentional. In the same way, you are a strategically placed light. You, where you live, you live there because God has strategically placed you to live there. To which you might say, no, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I got transferred up here from Atlanta, and then I lost my job, and now I'm stuck in Siberia. I, I don't think I'm a strategically placed light. Or, you know, the school that I'm in right now, the college I'm in, it was, it was actually my third choice. I tried to get in these two other schools, and it didn't work out. Here's what you need to know. God has strategically placed you where you are. That committee that you're on at work, the one you think is a waste of your time, God has strategically placed you there. That student that you sit next to in science class, you know, the kid that you don't really want to sit next to, God has strategically placed you there. God has strategically placed you as his representative. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And then it says, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, Paul writes, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. An ambassador is the highest ranking official or diplomat sent as a representative from one country to another. Maybe a more simple way of thinking about this is one that I heard Pastor Craig Groeschel use. It's the hall pass. Remember when you were in elementary school and your teacher would be like, hey, I got this package. I need somebody to take it down to the principal's office. Any volunteers? And you'd be like, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. Sound like such an adventure to go down to the principal's office. And so then you'd get out in the hallway and you're all by yourself and you'd walk past your friend's classroom. And they're working on something. They look up and see you. How did you get out there? And you're like, wah, hall pass. Or, you know, a teacher stops you in the hall, and they're like, oh, what are, you, what are you doing out in the hall here? You're supposed to be in class. And you're like, my teacher's chosen and appointed me to do something special. Got the hall pass. You are an ambassador of Christ. 
God has appointed you. He has chosen you to do something special. You don't just go to work. You don't just go to school. You're not just there to get an education, make some friends, and have some fun. You are an ambassador of Christ. You have the same spirit in you that rose Christ from the dead. You have been given a message that can change your friends and your coworkers' eternal destiny. You are an ambassador of Christ. My kids are growing up with the unfortunate label of pastor's kid. So whenever they knock something over on accident or they start to misbehave a little bit, somebody will always go, oh, well, there you go, typical pastor's kid. Which, maybe it's because I didn't grow up in church, but I've never quite understood that. Like if a financial advisor's kid blows all their Christmas money at Target on a Nerf gun that breaks two days later, is anybody like, financial advisor's kid? I mean, what do you expect from that kind of thing? Now, on the one hand, I, I totally get it. As a pastor, I understand I'm held to a higher standard and kids kind of get lumped in on that. And to a certain extent, I agree. I agree I'm held to a high standard. It matters what I watch. It matters the language that I use. It matters how I talk to people. It matters how I spend my time and my money. But there's a false dichotomy here. Because look at the verse that we just read. It doesn't say that only pastors are ambassadors. It says that all Christians are, which means it matters how you spend your time and money, the way you talk to people, the movies you go see, the language that you use. You are an ambassador of Christ. And when you understand that, it changes everything. Several years ago, my wife was at the grocery store Aldi. And if you're not familiar with Aldi, they used to only take debit cards and cash. And so she's standing in line, and the woman in front of her hands her debit card to the clerk. He swipes it a couple of times, and it's rejected. Rather embarrassingly, this woman says, let me go call the bank and you know, see what the problem is. And so she goes over in the corner to call the bank, and my wife is standing there wrestling with God. And it's like, God, if she's on the phone for one more minute, I'll offer to go pay for her groceries. And so finally, Sarah went over, and she said to this woman, she said, you know, excuse me, I... I would love to pay for your groceries. And sometimes when you say that to people, they'll go, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll figure this out. This woman goes, really? And she starts to get really emotional. And Sarah goes, yeah, I, I would love to. And, and then Sarah mentioned that she goes to Eagle Brook Church, and we'd love to have you join us sometime. A little bit later in the parking lot, as Sarah's putting her groceries into the car, this woman comes up to her and she goes, you know, I'm a believer too. She said, my husband recently lost his job, and we've had, like, no money. And so we've been doing Dave Ramsey, financial peace, and we've been trying to name every dollar. We're being responsible, but we, our calculations were off. And this morning, I had a friend of mine who called me up and said, hey, I need a ride to church. And it was way out of my way, and I knew I didn't have the gas money. And I just prayed. I said, God, I'm going to drive this woman to church, and you're going to have to provide for me some way. And so she said, when you came up and offered to pay for my groceries, I'm standing there thinking, God is real. And he's hearing my prayers. My wife was not just going to the grocery store. She was a strategically placed light for just that moment. In the same way, you don't just go to the grocery store. Remember who you are. You're the salt of the earth. 
You're an ambassador of Christ. You don't just coach your kids' sports teams. You're the light of the world. You don't just live in that neighborhood. God has placed you there to love your neighbors and to try to reach them for Christ. You don't just go to work. You're the salt of the earth. You're there to pray for your coworkers. You're there to be for them when they're struggling with something in life. You're there to maybe even have a great conversation about what a relationship with God is really like. You are a city on a hill at Medtronic, at Boston Scientific, at 3M. You are a city on a hill at 3M, at Lowe's, at Home Depot, at McDonald's, you name it. You are a city on a hill. You're not just a student. You're an ambassador of Christ, chosen by God as his representative to your school. You are a city on a hill at Blaine, Andover, Spring Lake Park, and Coon Rapids, at Centennial, White Bear Lake, East Ridge, and Forest Lake. You are a city on a hill at Century College, University of Minnesota, St. Thomas, or Bethel. You are a strategically placed light. And when you recognize that, changes everything. Third way to shine your light is this. Go beyond nice. Go beyond nice. Let me explain. Look at Jesus, what he says here. He says, don't hide your light under a basket. That's great imagery. You got a light and then you stick a basket over it. He says, don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. And then here's how some of us read this last part, according to Pastor Andy Stanley. It says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Next verse here. Shine out for all to see so they may see your church attendance and say, dang, he's a good Christian. (laughs) No, it, it actually doesn't say that. So they may see your good deeds and see all the nice things you do and say, oh, she's so nice. He's such a great guy. It doesn't say that either. Here's how Jesus concludes this verse. So that everyone, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So everyone will glorify your Father in heaven. The goal is not that people would look at you and go, wow, what a nice guy. What a nice person. She is so sweet. Look at all the things that she does. The goal is that we would go beyond nice and that we would cause people and we would point people to glorify our Father in heaven. This past October, I had a chance to travel with some people from Eagle Brook down to Haiti to see the progress on Hope Church. Hope Church is a church that we have partially funded through your generosity, and we see it as a place, it's one of the poorest places on the planet, and this church is being built right there. I want you to take a look at the side screens. Hey, Eaglebrook, I am standing in Hope Church, or what will soon be Hope Church. You can see the walls are coming up behind me. It'll actually be open by the time that you're watching this video. Hope Church is located in City Soleil, Haiti. And City Soleil is actually considered one of the poorest places on planet Earth. Yesterday, as we were walking around with some of the kids, we walked through the garbage dump. And I looked over and I saw this one kid who was all by himself. And I thought, you know, well, maybe he's kind of an introvert like me. He just wants to get away from the crowd. And so I went over and I kind of crouched down next to him in the dirt. And we started drawing some roads and some pictures. And then he got up. And I realized that he had been crouched down and had been going to the bathroom. And I looked at that and I thought, what? That's not right. And then later on, we walked around, and I saw these little kids who didn't have any clothes on, no shoes on, and they're walking over this garbage. 
that's nails and broken glass and there's no parents around. And I thought to myself, that, that's not right. There's a physical poverty in this area. But not only is there a physical poverty in this area, but there is a spiritual poverty and darkness as well. In fact, I'm told that there's a voodoo priest who lives right outside these doors in some of those shanties. He's right across the street. He burns a cross. He tries to coerce people through fear into believing in voodoo instead of the one true God. And so you see things like that as a follower of Christ and you go, wow, we live in a dark world. What could I possibly do? Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, you are the light of the world. Yes, we live in a dark place. Yes, there's things that make us go, wow, that's not right. But you, follower of Christ, you are the light of the world. And then he says this, you're like a city on a mountain or a church built on a dump in one of the poorest places in the world. You are a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. And then he says this, do not hide your light under a basket, but instead put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. You know, when you put a church in one of the darkest, most poverty-stricken places on the planet, it's really easy to see how you're being the light to the world. I imagine these kids coming to this church and learning about the Bible and worshiping. In fact, this church actually wants to get as big a sound system as they can because their vision is to blast worship music out over all of these neighborhoods so that people will hear the word of God. But the reality is, is that each and every one of us has dark places in our lives as well. We all have things in our family, in our relationships, in our workplace that we look at and we go, wait a minute, th that's not right. We all have people in our lives who, although they have material wealth, they have a spiritual poverty within them. Their soul or their spirit lacks a relationship with God. And so where is it in your life that you look and you go, you know what, that, that's just not right. We live in a dark and fallen world. But Jesus Christ says, you are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine. Not so that people will look at you and think, oh, he's a really nice guy, but so that they will praise your Father in heaven. Eaglebrook Church, you are the light of the world. Because of your generosity, we were able to help put a church, a city on a hill, in one of the poorest places on the planet. Because of you, we reach over 20,000 people almost every single weekend. And they don't just come for the music and message. They come because you are a light. And when you invite them to church, they go, oh, well, if, if you're going, if you like it, I, I probably would like it too. You are the light. A couple weekends ago, I mentioned in a message that I knew a family that was struggling to pay their mortgage each month. The very next day, I get a phone call from a man in this church. He says, I was sitting there, and I just felt like God was saying to me, pay for their mortgage this month. This church is filled with some of the most godly, generous, bold for Christ people that I have ever met. I couldn't be more proud to be one of the pastors. So where in your life do you look and go, you know what, that, that's not right. That person needs Jesus Christ in their life. Don't you forget who you are. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer.
God, in many ways, my prayer is that you would fire us up. That you would restore our love for people, especially people who are far from you. And that you would give us such a desire to reach them with your love and your truth that we would really begin to pray for them and look for opportunities that you might give us, God, to invite them or to talk to them or to reach them in some way. God, just fire us up again. And God, I pray for those of us who kind of have one foot in the world and one foot with you. God, I pray that we wouldn't live like the rest of the world lives, but that our light would shine and that we would be a little bit different. And so if there's things in our life, God, that we need to cut out and we need to stop doing in order to shine our light, God, I pray that you would work in our life to do that this weekend. And God, I thank you for the people in this church who shine so bright. It's why we keep reaching people. It's why we keep able to, to build churches like Hope Church. God, I pray that every person in this church who is a light of Jesus Christ would be encouraged and they would never forget who they are, that they are the salt of the earth, that they are the light of the world. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.